Hey, my name is Lizzie Smiley, and I absolutely love helping people connect with their calling and all the tools they need to kick roadblocks and excuses right out the door so they can cultivate the life they dream about. If you want to launch, grow, pivot, or scale your Etsy shop, or you've always wanted to develop the mindset and skills to run your own business, then I'm your girl. I've had that entrepreneurial spirit going strong since my very first lemonade stand, and now I'm a work-at-home mama with multiple online companies and a full-time Etsy shop, all while being present with my kids for the everyday chaos and most important milestones. On this podcast, we'll talk about all things business, mindset, Etsy, creativity, dazzling our customers, and so much more. There's plenty of room at this table for you, so scooch on in and let's go. I'm holding nothing back. Welcome to How to Sell Your Stuff on Etsy. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, hey, you guys. Welcome back to the show. Happy almost end of July. Someone please pinch me and tell me how that is remotely possible. I have a nine-month-old baby and the summer vacation is almost over, but we are going to shove all of that depressingness aside. And we are going to talk to our friend, Attorney Paige Hulse today. I know how much you guys love her. She has a household name around here. We trust her for all things legal when it comes to our Etsy shops. And she has been such a good, 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 good friend to this podcast and to many of you. So a couple of months ago, not maybe as weeks, I don't even know. It's a bit of a time warp. Is summer like that for you guys? Maybe it's just me. Um, but I sent out an email to my email friends. Um, if you want to be included on that list, you can go look in the show notes and there's um, a place where you can jump on the email list and get all of my updates. But I sent out an, an email and asked for people to send in their questions for Paige because... As you probably noticed by the title, we are doing a Your Burning Legal Questions for Attorney Page Hulse episode, and we're going to do some rapid fire um, discussion questions. This was a really cool conversation. We're covering things like about LLCs, lots and lots of stuff about trademarks and you know what you need to do first, what you need to trademark, um, like info. Um, intellectual property. I don't know why that's always hard for me to say. I like want to say IP, but then I think like IP address your computer, I always get jumbled. But um, intellectual property stuff, we're going to talk about shop suspensions. It's a really, really good conversation. And Paige is so generous with her answers. Like I honestly can't believe she answers these questions for us on the podcast. But you guys sent them in. She's answering them. It's a great conversation. Um, if you are newer here, Paige was on our podcast twice before. I will link those episodes for you in the show notes. Episode number 36 was how to stay out of legal trouble in your Etsy shop. And episode 61 was all about copycats and preventing them. Um, so check those out if you haven't before. And let me tell you a bit about her. So after working as a business litigator by day and running a calligraphy side hustle on the weekends, she was an Etsy seller like us. Paige left the corporate world in 2017 to form her law firm, Paige Hulse Law, serving creative entrepreneurs worldwide. Soon after forming her firm, she founded the Creative Law Shop, melding together her contract law expertise with her firsthand experience as a creative entrepreneur. Currently, the Creative Law Shop boasts more than 80 contracts she has drafted for herself and her clients. I'm pretty sure that number is higher now. That is an old number. That's my fault. Um, assisting creative entrepreneurs run legally sound businesses worldwide without the expense of an hourly rate. Today, Paige practices trademark law through her law firm while also running her nonprofit for deployed Green, Green Beret soldiers um, called the Special Forces Support Fund. 
She's a lifelong equestrian. She and her husband have built a premier boarding stable in Tulsa, Oklahoma, known as Fairway Stables. So there's literally a hundred things I have in common with this woman. I am so crazy about her. Um, So let's spend every single second we can today digging into your burning legal questions. We had some technical issues with this episode. This is like the most I've ever had. I think we've recovered it okay, but if there are some quality abnormalities in sound or video this time, I apologize. We're piecing it together the best we can. I think it should turn out okay, but wanted to put that out there up front. So let's give a very warm welcome to our beloved attorney, Paige Hulse. Yay! Paige, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here and so excited just to get to chat again. I'm always happy to happy when we get to catch up. I've been looking forward to it since the second we hang, hung up last time. So, <laughs> so this is going to be so fun. And um, you need to know that my people are obsessed with you. And they talk about you all. You're you're a household name in the How to Sell Your Stuff family. Are you like how does that feel? <laughs> I'm not a regular lawyer. I'm a cool lawyer. <laughs> I appreciate that. That is, that is, that means a lot to me. And I, I mean, I really, this is one of, one of my favorite platforms to get to speak to uh, because y'all ask such good questions. And I love, like we were talking about earlier, I love getting to talk to the true artisans who are out there who are, and we can get into that. (laughs) We can get into that much more, but I love getting to speak to the artisans out there who are going out, putting their craft out into the world and making a difference for their families and whatever I can do to help facilitate that. That's why I do what I do. So I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Desperately need you. And, um, I'm, I'm extremely proud of my, my people and they are amazing artisans. And so we're so, we're so glad we have you like in our back pocket because it's like a team effort, right? Like we need your expertise so much. Um, and I love that you said you are excited to answer questions because I like literally want to do like a rapid fire Q&A today if you're down for that. I am very ready. Hit me with oh, it. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. So um, most everyone will know who you are. And in the intro, I referenced the other two episodes that you were on already. So hopefully they're going to be going back and clicking through those because I think those are really good, like fundamental educational pieces. You know, we talked about staying out of legal trouble and um, copycats, which is like so critical to the Etsy platform. So they'll go back and check those out. But I would just love for them to get a little background because it's so easy to connect with you as an Etsy seller, like on a more personal level, a little background, and then we'll fire through some of these questions. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, in case I haven't met any of you listeners, uh, my name is Paige Hulse. I'm a lawyer. Um, I have been operating my law firm since uh, I just hit the six year mark, actually, Whoa. Right, about two weeks ago. So yeah, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a minute now. Um, <laughs> and I actually, I can't remember if I said this in the last episodes or not. So apologies for the redundancy if I, if I did, but I actually got my start, um, running or I got interested in the entrepreneurial space because I actually had my own Etsy shop. I was a, I had a calligraphy side business. Um, in addition to being a full-time litigator back in the day, <laughs> that was As my creative does. outlet. <laughs> exactly. That was my creative outlet. I would be in court all day. I'd be stressed out and kind of intense when I come, would come home and I needed a way to unwind. And I just fell in love with building businesses and long story short, started my own law firm. So anyways, I'm an intellectual property attorney primarily. I do a little bit of transactional law still, work with entrepreneurs across the world. Um, through my law firm, Paige Hulse Law. And then I have a contract template shop, which is the creative law shop. And um, also because I can't stop, won't stop. I also <laughs> have uh, 
<laughs> I have an additional business called Fairway Stables, which is an equine and homesteading law resource um, for equestrians around the world and homesteaders around the world. So anyways. Okay, wait, I didn't know that was a law resource. I thought you were just honestly incredible and you were stabling other people's horses because you somehow have a billion hours in the day. Yeah, that's part of it. This is, it's all part of my master plan to get more horses, not actually have to pay for them. Uh, So it will be a boarding stable, but yeah, I work, I provide equine law services for, um, for horse trainers and people, equestrians, literally all around the world. It's my favorite. It's the marriage of the perfect two things, law and horses, the two things you can't get me to shut up about. So anyways, that's, that turned, that started as a passion. How did I not know this? (laughs) Well, it started as a passion project and it's, it's just taken off. Um, Yeah. I can't remember if we talked about that or not. No, well, definitely. I knew about the stables. Like we've talked about it quite a few times, yeah. but like, I had no idea there was a law element to it. And now I know who to send all my horse friends to. Like, this is a thing. Like I have horse trainer friends. In fact, yeah. Paige, I have a friend who has a pretty big podcast in the horse world. We need to get you on his podcast. There you go. Yeah. I have, I think 25 contract templates and counting over there. Um, and when I talk about contract templates are not just contract templates or contracts I write for myself or clients and then redact names from, and then funnel into the appropriate business I have, whether that be for creative entrepreneurs at the creative law shop or equestrian entrepreneurs at Fairway Stables. So, okay. I'm making notes. I have people I need to connect you to. We've just opened up a whole new facet of our relationship. I'm very excited. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah. Sorry to just kind of throw that one at you. I couldn't remember if we had talked about it. I honestly love it. And when, and and like my listeners are like my little besties anyway. And so we all love it when I go completely rogue and it happens on a regular basis. So this is, this is perfect. I'm very excited. I'm literally jotting down notes of who I need to connect you to. Super fun. Oh gosh. Okay. I have to tell you this too then. I recently did a tax episode, you know, because we're just like knocking out all the ones that are traditionally boring, you know, which you've broken me of that now. And, um, her firm is called Mare-ish Bookkeeping. Oh, that's funny. That's I very funny. No, And we immediately bonded because I'm like, oh, I know exactly. Because everyone's always like, what's marriage? You know? And I'm like, I know exactly what marriage yes. is. Like marriage. <laughs> I know exactly what marriage is. Um, I love oh, my no. How funny. That's okay. Funny. So great side note. Okay. So I have some questions that I put together for us. And then I have some that were sent in. And I almost sure. don't know. Maybe I need to interweave them. I think that's what I'm going to do. Um, and actually, I'm going to be rude. I'm going to cut you off before we even yeah. start. I, I already forgot to do what is legally required. Uh, I need to throw in my disclaimer and I apologize for how boring this is, but for everybody listening, everything that I'm going to be talking about today is for general educational purposes only. This is not intended to be specific legal advice. And so if you have specific questions about anything I talked about after this, um, after listening to this episode, you can either contact myself and we can set up an inquiry call or contact an attorney in your jurisdiction, but I just want to get that out of the way and let you know I'm going to be sharing as much education as humanly possible to fit in in this amount of time. So I hope that you'll be able to get exactly what you need from this episode for your business. But yeah, it's no, I'm so glad that you popped that in for so many reasons, but also like we have people who listen all over the world and this stuff varies by county sometimes. So yes. we want to make sure that you're safe, Paige. We want to take care of you, but also the listeners, like, we could be sending you in the wrong direction simply depending on where you're living. So take it as education. I love it. Yeah. Okay. I think we need to start at the very beginning. And the first thing that 
it gets asked all the time is, do you need an attorney to actually just register an LLC? And maybe we can chat a little bit about other business formats too that you see come up. I would just whatever you want to spitball about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll probably make any any attorney listening to this angry when I say no, you don't need an attorney for an LLC. <laughs> you don't. Um, I actually, and this is not just a pitch for the creative law shop. I actually have I recorded a masterclass um, that I send to people all the time. That literally is a video recording of me walking through forming an LLC for somebody, so that people can see exactly how to do it. But but the dirty secret that places like LegalZoom don't want you to know <laughs> and attorneys that are charging a lot of money don't want you to know is that forming an LLC is not difficult. However, there are three, technically four, but three steps that I want anyone listening to keep in mind. The first step is you always have to file with the Secretary of State's office in your state. And as a quick side note, I'm gonna interrupt myself with this. If we have international listeners, um, there is a variation of an LLC in every single country. Obviously, it goes by different names, but this is the baseline, most common form, most basic level of business um, liability protection. So whatever would be compatible in your in your jurisdiction. But going back to step one, you need to register at the secretary of state's office in your in, the, in your state. That would take you, again, this is the dirty secret, lawyers don't want you to know. It'll take you about 10, maybe 15 minutes to fill out. It's not hard. Uh, the second step is you're going to need to go to the IRS, uh, irs.gov, and you're going to need to fill out your EIN information. This is essentially your business's social security number is the easiest way to explain that. You are re legally required to have an EIN number if you are selling goods and services. So that is something that you, you need to have. The third step is going to be, you need to fill out an operating agreement. This is in, I don't wanna, you can just tell me to stop talking at any time. No, never <laughs> stop. I don't wanna, but it is, it is critically important that you don't just use a free operating agreement template off of the internet. I've, I've had clients get into extremely hot water, legally speaking, by doing that. I've had a client, I might've mentioned this last time I was on the podcast, I can't remember. I had a client who uh, sold her company and because she had used a free template online uh, that she had found online, she it was missing certain language that was needed and um, she was not able to take advantage of it was either a fifty or sixty thousand dollar tax break that the accountant that was helping me with this merger and acquisition had found, um, and so literally that was a fifty thousand dollar life lesson that she learned. Um, so your operating agreement is the contract that governs your LLC. This is if somebody attacks, if somebody, meaning a lawyer, attacks your LLC, this is going to be the black and white proof that you are operating your business as a business. And that's that's something called piercing the corporate veil. That's something I do in court all the time, both defending and prosecuting. And if I'm prosecuting somebody and if I'm trying to prove that they aren't following corporate formalities and that they don't really, they aren't really entitled to liability protection. If they hold up an operating agreement, my argument becomes 10 times more difficult. The minute they hold up an operating agreement, I know I'm pretty much screwed unless I can pull a rabbit out of my out of my hat. Uh, so your operating agreement is sounds boring, <laughs> but it's critically important. It's one of those things that when you need it, you really need it. Um, once you have your operating agreement, 
This leads into step number four, which is you need to open a business bank account for that business. You need to keep all of your business finances separate from your personal finances. That's another corporate formality that you have to follow. Your bank is going to be the only entity that, that retains a copy of that operating agreement. So you don't have to file that operating agreement with like the state or anything like that. It's something that you retain in your own business files and the bank has on hand as well. So it's important, but not many people ever see it. The operating agreement that I have in the shop is the one that I wrote for my own company and um, wow. redacted my name Iron from. Iron <laughs> what that translates to. <laughs> So it's, it's what I'm going to fall back on. So it's, uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, in summary, you can, you can do all of that yourself. If, if you know the steps, you can just execute the steps yourself. It, all in all, it takes maybe an hour to an hour and a half to, to perform that work on your own. So anyone listening to this, they could set up their LLC pretty much on their own by doing those steps, but to get a more safe operating agreement, they can hop over to your um, your template shop and they can grab the one that you wrote and they can use it for their own business and they just fill in their own details. Yep. Exactly. That website again? We just, let's just get it in right now because people are going to want to go look yeah, at it. It is shopcreativelaw.com. Yeah. Okay. So that's great that there's, and there's so many templates over there, you guys, it's literally, I've, I can't tell you how many times I have sent that out because there's something forever, like anything you could possibly need is in there. So that's so good. Is there anything else you want to say on that and like the different business formations? Yeah, I will say, I will say two other things on that topic. One, if you have an LLC, well, first of all, a DBA, not, we might be talking about DBAs later on. I don't know what, what questions you're going to be throwing at me. So <laughs> I'm joking ahead. DBAs do not give you any liability protection. The reason why you want an LLC is because it separates your business liability and assets from your personal liabilities and assets. A DBA is literally just the same. It's a legal term for a nickname. That's all it means. It does, okay. has no, it provides no legal protection at all. Having um, it alone. Okay. So that's, yeah, that's a misconception I see all the time. I also see, well, when, when we're talking about LLCs, once you have an LLC, which I would recommend that you have in place the minute that you start selling anything, um, that's what would make my lawyer heart happy. <laughs> it's um, there's no there's no reason to wait on at all other than just your unless you're wanting to play with fire. There is literally no reason to wait to form an LLC. But once you do, I would like for you to listen or to uh, reach out to an accountant and ask when it would be appropriate to elect to be taxed as an S corporation. That's going to be a vehicle that can save you um, that can save you taxes, and it's just a tax election. It's not. In most states, it's not technically a different type of formation. I have people that reach out to me and ask me questions about um, forming corporations. Typically, you typically I haven't I have not encountered that many scenarios where a corporation is the appropriate yeah. um, entity formation for a small business or for an entrepreneur. Um, that's, you're just going to have many more corporate formalities. You're going to have shareholders, officers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the other entity I want to hit on quickly is partnerships. <laughs> I I just got off a call right before this, actually, with some two people who are starting a partnership. And they were asking about whether or not they should be a partnership or just what they should be. I, I want you to know that if you are conducting business with somebody in many states, the state, your state's laws, whether you know this or not, 
automatically impute a general partnership. They, they automatically classify you as a general partnership. If you don't have a partnership agreement, then you're going to just default into whatever your state says about partners. And, and I'm speaking very generally and very broadly here, but in many states, that means that you're going to be completely on the hook for whatever your partner does. So that's not something that, um, <laughs> that's not something that, that I recommend for anybody. There are some scenarios where a partnership is an appropriate uh, legal formation or an if le a, appropriate entity to have. Um, however, you can also form a multi-member LLC with, with that partner. So I just Even want to make spouses, that clear. With spouses, would you want a partnership agreement? I, my husband and I have LLCs together. We have multi-member LLCs together. Okay. And yeah, we have that operating agreement for all of them. And in the operating agreement, I actually have the book over here, but I won't be a dork and pull it out. And the operating <laughs> agreement, depending on how, how intense it gets, you if you do have other members that you're conducting business with, you want to have what are called buy-sell terms. Um, and that can be a standalone buy-sell agreement, or that can be, those can be terms integrated into an operating agreement. I'm speaking a little bit on a heady level here. Um, but those are going to have link that's going to have language around um, what are called triggering events. So what happens in the events that one party decides to sell their shares? What happens in the events of one party's um, incapacity? You know, if, if somebody's yeah. incapacitated, those types of things that you don't want to think about, that you don't want to talk about, but you sure as heck don't want to talk about or have to think about in the event they actually occur. Yeah. Um, so if you're doing business with somebody else, I really want anybody listening to at least have an inquiry call and just confer with an attorney and just make sure that you aren't leaving any legal loose ends out there. All right, guys. So as you know, I've been on a print-on-demand journey with my new Etsy shop. I opened just a while back, and I'm having the best time ever and learning so much, but I really wanted to give you a little update and tell you how sold out I am for Printify as my print-on-demand provider. So they were my go-to in the very beginning because my POD experts all told me that they were the way to go, and Printify has not disappointed me a bit. I'm very happy with the quality of the products that, that are going out. The turnaround time has been good. I love their interface, and I feel like it's very user-friendly and integrates well with Etsy. I am so super happy with the margins I'm bringing in, especially using Printify Premium compared with the other print-on-demand providers. So it's just been a win-win all around. Basically what happens is this. So I set up a listing mostly over on Printify and I have it all synced up with my Etsy shop. So over on the Printify site, I get the product all ready to go with my design properly placed, all the colors I want selected, the title written, the description written, and the correct pricing and shipping already in place. Like it's all done on Printify. The only thing I don't sync is the product photos because I create, of course, all of my own mock-ups for a better quality. So then I click publish over on Printify and within about a minute, the product shows up over in my Etsy shop listings as an active listing. At this point, it's live. So then I go right away over there and I upload my product photos <laughs> and any other graphics that I need. I set my categories shop section and tags, like all the things that I have to do over on Etsy. And usually I'll link my variations to a corresponding picture in my photo gallery. So I'll give it a quick once over and then click publish again on Etsy so that my updates will show to everyone who sees the listing. The great thing about doing it this way is that when an order comes in, within one to two hours, typically the order then syncs over to Printify back again. And so all of the product and customer details are there. And Printify just makes it crazy easy <laughs> to run my print on demand shop. I can't believe it. Like 
golly, after making, you know, wood signs for six years, this is a dream. So Printify has over 850 products to choose from. You can customize and create new designs to your heart's content. And the best part is you don't have to worry about keeping an inventory or shipping products yourself. (laughs) Printify handles all of it for you. And seriously, their production costs are unbeatable. So if you're considering print on demand, give Printify a try. I recommend it. Feel free to grab my link in the show notes waiting for you. And if you use my code, Lizzie Smiley, which is no spaces, all caps, L-I-Z-Z-I-E-S-M-I-L-E-Y, you can get 30 days free of Printify Premium, which gets you even lower production costs. So again, that's Lizzie Smiley, no cap, no spaces, all caps. It's an absolute steal, and I always use Printify Premium. So the whole experience getting going in print demand has been wonderful. I love it. 10 out of 10 recommend. And I hope this helps you with the production partner decision if you're on the fence and planning a shop as well. I'm excited for you. No, if any anyone and almost all of us have, have buried someone who did not have a will, you know what a disaster it can be to not have things be very clearly outlined from the jump. Do it when everyone's still really happy with each other. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And with this topic too, there's, there's a ton to talk about when we're talking about formations Um, in the creative law shop. I also have, I can't even remember how many, how many hours it is, but I have a legal A to Z course um, in there and I've recorded over an hour's long, um, an hour of content directly directly on this topic. And so if you want like a deep dive and you just don't want to wait to get on somebody's calendar, that's a resource as well. Um, Going through what a corporation is, why, when, how to set it up, what a general partnership is, why, when, how to set it up, et cetera, as well. We don't talk about that enough, Paige. We should talk more about your library of educational resources. Like we always talk about the templates and stuff like that, but I think that the library is just as valuable. Like it's, it's so full of information. Thank you. That was um, the secret. <laughs> I never usually say this. The secret behind that course I created and that course is just those are just recordings of webinars from live webinars I hosted last year. I mean, I pulled out my law school textbooks for that. Those are I crammed in. I crammed in so much information that my one of my law school professors reached out to me and he was like, where the heck did all of this come from? Because <laughs> it's I mean, it's it's not that it's so dense that you can't understand it. It's just there's you'll get more from that hour of listening to me present that information than you would in a two hour conversation with. Oh my gosh. It's it's such a great resource. Okay. I want to ask you also about trademarks if we can, because I think what I get a lot and I always just defer them to you, but they're like, okay, what do I need to do first? Register an LLC or get my item or my shop name trademarked? What, how would you talk about that? Yeah, I um, I am kind of laughing because one, I get asked this every day. And two, I always (laughs) sound like a lawyer when I start to answer. (laughs) Uh, And I'm trying to answer directly. Um, So, and this is why also just, just on a human level, this is why I love working with entrepreneurs because I can, I mean, yeah, I can talk about the law all, all day long, but I love talking about it from the business perspective as well. We have to carry, like, we have to weigh both of those, those factors equally. Where I'm going with that is, any, any part of your branding that you want to own, or I should rephrase and say any part of your branding that you don't want to get sued for, you need to trademark. So your business name, your logo, and your slogan are primarily the three, the three items that um, fall under trademarking. You can trademark other things, but we're not talking like Tiffany, 
the jewelry company trademarked Tiffany blue, but we're not usually talking about things like that. So just to keep it generic, we're talking about logo name slogan. The trademarking process, this is where my, I'm going to put my business hat on for a minute. The trademarking process is slow. We're relying on the federal government. At the time of this recording, it takes, it, it takes approximately 15 months to trademark something. Oh my give or gosh. Take, yeah, give or take three months either way, which I know that, so I'm really saying 12 to 18 months, which is quite the range, but that true, that is a very accurate timeline right now. So from a business perspective, I want anybody, I want you to trademark something before, I want you to at least be partway through the process before anybody finds out about this business name, logo, or slogan. To actually, so I'm kind of dodging your question a little bit. <laughs> to answer your question directly, uh, legally speaking, I want you to have an LLC first because okay. when you file that trademark application, the LLC is going to be the owner of the trademark. If you file the trademark before you have an LLC, first of all, there's no reason why you, the LLC takes an hour tops to fill out or to form. So you might as well do both at the same time. But, but if you don't, if there's some reason why you haven't yet, and if you file the trademark as a sole proprietor, you would have to assign the trademark into the LLC later on. It's not the hardest, okay. it's not hard to do. It's just, an and um, sorry about that. It's an extra step and there's no reason to add an extra step to your legal plate <laughs> if it's avoidable. Now, I wanna be really clear about something. I was talking about how LLCs, you can, I encourage people, you can file an LLC on your own. Do not ever file a trademark on your own. Okay. Do not ever. There is a reason why my legal insurance goes up as an intellectual property attorney. <laughs> like I have to pay more insurance to practice that area of law. Wow. There is so much strategy involved with trademarking in any, any form of intellectual property, but particularly trademarking that I do not want to give anybody, I want unequivocally, as bluntly as I can say it, do not think there's so much strategy below the surface that is intentionally hidden below the surface if it looks easy, if it, it's one of those things where if it looks too easy and it just feels too easy, then it sh then that should make your spidey sense go off. It is not, it's not actually that easy and you're usually going to end up in really bad hot water. So that's, I don't want to talk about the scary side too much, but that's one thing I want to be very clear about because I, I to get, I do have to have tough conversations with people frequently who do that and then find out <laughs> what I'm talking about on the on the back end when things get really expensive. So, okay. So, oh my gosh. Um, yeah, that's my other thought too, though, is like, okay, so Etsy doesn't require any of this. They're like, you can literally pop in your social security number and operate business. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it's required that way. It's more from like a protecting yourself way. But I'm also thinking it, if I have my Etsy shop and let's say I'm just test, like, I don't even know if I, I'm just trying it. I don't even know if it's going to work yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have to register my shop name, my tagline, and there was and my like logo, right? Mm -hmm. Was that the other thing you said? That sounds really expensive for something I'm not sure I'm even going to do. I know that I'm just like throwing that out there, Paige, but I'm, I can only I mean, imagine so many people are thinking that right now. And I'd love your take on that. That I'm, I'm very, very glad you asked that. And that's why I made that dorky analogy about, but I'm dead serious about it. This is where like, let's put our business hat back on. 
Um, while yes, you should you should register anything that you want to have ownership over, we're business owners. We can't just start out of the gate spending five figures on something before exactly. we actually test the business model, nor should we, I would argue. Um, so let's reverse engineer the logic here. When it comes to trademarking, if somebody if somebody is enforcing intellectual property claims against you, if, if they are saying that you're infringing upon their trademark, here's what could happen. They could either, they could sue you. They usually don't start with that because that's expensive. Um, they're gonna send you cease and desist letters. What happens frequently, and I know we'll talk about this later on, but what happens frequently if, if we have some bad actors at play is they'll send a settlement agreement that settlement agreement will have language that is impossible to comply with. For example, it will have some fine print in there that says something to the effect of you promise to scrub that business name from the internet forever and ever and ever. Well, none of us own Google. <laughs> and right. I for once, have not figured out how to actually like manhandle Pinterest and keep pins from being reposted. Exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> What happens sometimes in those scenarios is that um, the company will then find Pinterest is really the bad actor. They don't do anything wrong, but that's usually how this happens. The party that asked you to sign the settlement agreement will come back and say, we found we found this this pin still floating around with that business name. You're in violation of the settlement agreement before we take you to court. We'll give you one more chance to make this right. You can pay a licensing fee of X amount of dollars annually. Um, I've had this happen with clients before. It's usually around the like third. Well, it depends, but like usually around thirty or fifty thousand dollars a year to continue using your name. Those are very so. At that point, that's that's the bad side of what can happen, and and that's if we have a bad actor. If we have just another business owner who's just doing what they have to do and protect their business name and not create confusion in the marketplace, they probably aren't going to sue you. They're going to ask you to change that name. And as a business owner yourself, especially if you're getting a new business off the ground, um, you, you, can, you, you can survive changing your business name and you can survive rebuilding your rep reputation. I just want to, to present all of the facts in terms of you're going to have to think of this from the perspective of rebuilding your reputation and making sure your audience, your customer base can still find you and figuring out a way from a PR perspective to spin this and um and yeah not not make you look like a a sloppy business owner um so that's that's one part of my answer my other part of my answer to that is think about what it would hurt the most to have to lose and rebuild the business name is usually the hardest so i usually very rarely do i veer from this this advice but i usually recommend that people trademark their business name first and then their logo and then their tagline, just simply because in order of what hurts from from most to least, <laughs> that's usually how, how those chips fall. So I don't want to cause angst. I don't want to cause um, any need for panic when I talk about this. I don't want you to listen to this and think, oh my gosh, I have to figure out a way to pay for all of these trademarks all at once right now. A good attorney, a good intellectual property attorney is going to walk you through the risks risks of each of these elements of intellectual property. Look at it from a business perspective as well. And any good attorney, especially any good intellectual property attorney, the business attorney, we act as business consultants and strategists as well, like in tandem with providing legal advice. So 
we're going to be able to look at the whole picture and help walk you through like, here's what you do this year. Here's what you should do two years from now. Here's what you should do five years from now. Um, so does that answer the question? No, it's so awesome. Like, just like to level with you, we're, we have so many things we think about because we also don't know if Etsy is going to shut us down. Like the shop suspensions are so hard to predict and all of that. And so it feels like, oh my gosh, I'm putting so much on the line for something they could take away from me for no reason. You know what I mean? And I mean, like, you know me, I am pro Etsy. I am glasses half full girl all the way. I'm like, take the risk. But there's also this measuring of like, maybe those are things that are meaning more to me when I have my own website and something that I have more ability to protect and actually like build. Um, I'm always telling my people build towards your own site, start with an Etsy shop, use it to learn business, then build your email list, get your social media going, market yourself, open your own website, use Etsy as a lead generation tool because I just want them to have an, a legacy asset, you know, at the end of it. It's a springboard. Uh, And I'll give you my, my two cents from a legal perspective when it comes to Etsy as well. They, it's smart. What they've done is smart, but what they've also done is they've created their own unique, very unique rules around intellectual property infringement on Etsy. So as most people probably listening know, you can have, somebody can file a, an infringement claim against you on Etsy and they might not be correct, but Etsy might still grant it. Yep. Um, I don't have any stats available regarding <laughs> the, the right, like the if whether there's been an increase or not. But I know I've been getting more, I've been getting more inquiries about that recently. So I don't know if that if you you're the you're the expert when it comes to Etsy, but that's just one note when it comes to Etsy. But if you hire somebody like me to fight against those shutdowns or those infringement claims. If you have a federal registration, it's really easy for me to to turn that back around on Etsy. Okay. If you don't, and when I say turn that back around, I just mean get your shop back open. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But if you, or file a counterclaim if need be, if you don't have those federal rights, then it's very, very, very difficult, very difficult to fight against somebody who may have just lobbed a claim at you with no, with nothing to back it up. Yeah. And very difficult. (laughs) Exactly. And very difficult for you to say to Etsy, Etsy, what, what will happen? And this is, this is simplifying it, grossly simplifying it. But what will happen is you'll, you'll present an argument to Etsy along the lines of, no, I'm a real business owner. I promise. And Etsy will say, well, Prove it. Where's your registration? What you do to actually protect the brand? If you have a brand, prove you have a brand. Show me the registration number. And if you, so I mean, if we just kind of, and again, that's that's oversimplifying it. But if we look at it from that perspective, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Yeah. In terms of the strength of the argument. So there's a, it does not matter. I would even argue if you're on Etsy, you need to trademark faster. Um, oh Etsy my gosh. Not, it does not create any sort of safe haven. That's a misconception I see a lot. A lot of people think that because they're on Etsy and they're not off on their own, somehow, therefore, they can they can wait to trademark. And it's actually the exact opposite, in my opinion. Oh, my gosh. Okay, guys, so stuff to think about. Stuff to get on Paige's calendar for. Oh, this is okay. Listener question. This is literally perfect. Are you ready? <laughs> I hope so. Um, yeah. <laughs> They said, um, I got flagged for using a trademarked name in my listing. After asking for further clarification, the rep said it was because I used the name of, of the college in my listing titles without permission from the college. 
I asked for further clarification. It was because I used the name of the college in my listings, not because the design was on my wood products. Note, the college does have registered trademarks against using the design on clothing, hats, metal, license plates, pen holders, and post note holders. The response was that he could not give me legal advice and once again said I was flagged for using the name of the college in my listing title and description. Thanks so much. I love listening to your podcasts. Okay. So wait, what's the question? Maybe you were able to catch the question. I was too busy trying to read it properly. No, that's a great question. I can tell you exactly. I can, I can read between the lines in that and tell you what he was not allowed to put in writing, but what he was trying to tell this listener. <laughs> I, I assume he, I don't know if they actually said they he. They said he, like the rep at Etsy okay. he. Yeah. I don't know why. I, <laughs> anyways, moving on. No. Um, here's what, so here's, here's trademark law, um, trademark law 101. You can't use somebody's registered trademark, A. B, when it comes to that statement is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, really, you can't use a trademark that creates a likelihood of confusion with another registered trademark. When we're looking at likelihood of confusion, that's in a, bear with me for a second here. It's gonna sound technical, but it's actually really logical. When we're looking at likelihood of confusion, it's a three factor, it's a three prong test visual similarities, phonetic similarities, and overlap of goods and services. So in this instance, if they're using the name of the college, that's a no-brainer. You've already failed the visual and the phonetic similarity test. The goods and services is what, um, what I'm keying in on in this question. And is the question said something about clothing, hats, like the registration, the trademark had been registered for those items. The way that the classification system works, and this is worldwide, this is not just in the the United States, the way that those systems work and the way this is part of what I was talking about earlier with the strategy employed with trademark law. When I file a trademark for somebody, when I'm filling out the classes that I'm um, trademarking for, I am, it might look like I'm just filling, like I filled one out the other day for class 35 for an Etsy owner Uh, that was that class is for, generally speaking, online shops. I chose that class specifically because I then listed out all of the different types of items that she has in her shop. So in this case, I don't know what this listener is. Well, let me Fine. let me finish that story first. Yeah, um, the the client that I was working with the other day, I didn't go after anybody using a name that rhymes or looks like hers. Huh that sells anything that could fall under class 35. Now my client's not out there trying to just sue everybody, but that's just thinking ahead and working in the best interest of my client. What is happening with the college is they've done the exact same thing that I'm talking about. And trademark owners have a duty to, you can't let your trademark be diluted. That's why at Kleenex, um, Xerox, those are the the two go-to examples of dilution. They, you lose, you lose your trademark rights if you let too many people use the trademark. So with um, with this instance, it doesn't matter if, first of all, it does not matter what type of item this person was selling. I don't care if they were selling like a dog collar that had the college's name on it or something like that. Um, just using that name and probably a stylized version of that name, you're already committing trademark infringement. Um, but just because that college and this person thinks that they've only they registered. They have wood products listed, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, it doesn't have to have the exact same product listing. The oh. other day I, I spent, I wrote a 40 page argument against an examining attorney arguing the difference between, I was arguing my way out of a likelihood of confusion case for a client that creates, <laughs> she creates custom in, diamond and engagement rings that you can imagine how expensive those products are. And the likelihood of confusion office action that we received was for a uh, YouTube content creator who sells pants with his name on it. Like nobody's going to confuse those two items. No, no consumer is going to accidentally buy a pair of pants when they meant to buy an engagement ring. Right. Uh, that's how that's are, how, they're not getting engaged. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a whole other issue. <laughs> whole other issue, but that's how broad the, and not just the United States, but that's how broad trademark law works when we're talking about likelihood of confusion. So it's a very, very wide net. And again, not to be so redundant, but that's why I keep saying there's so much strategy right below the surface that people need to be aware of when it comes to trademark laws. Um, okay. Another IP one. Well, they're all IP. If someone sells personalized items in their Etsy shop and the customer provides an element that violates IP, who is responsible? So for example, a t-shirt with a custom quote that is from a TV show or song lyric, or a piece of wall art with the image of a book cover. Does that make sense? Like they're selling a, your quote here, your picture here, and they're not choosing to put something that violates. They're not even putting a picture of it or the words on Etsy, but they are creating the product and shipping it, I'm all thinking, I'm like, what if they put up a review and they put a picture, but I don't know. So I'll just, again, answer very bluntly as a lawyer. If I'm representing, let's say that I'm representing the person that wrote the quote or, um, you know, whatever. Yes. Yeah, I'm representing the person that got infringed upon here. I don't care who's liable. I'm suing both of you. Whoa. Okay. I'm probably going to come after the, I'm not probably, I'm, I'm definitely going to be zeroing in on the Etsy owner because your business owner, you have a business bank account. You're going to have more money that I can recoup for my client. But my job as the attorney is to work in the best interest of my client. And that means getting as much money for my client as I can. So um, you're in, this is the other thing about Etsy as well, where you in, especially if this does occur on Etsy, I'm definitely suing both of you because you don't have your own contract with the client. And so you don't have any sort of indemnification agreement with the client. So an indemnification agreement, if this were to occur on a website, you could fall back on, you could fall back on language in your terms and conditions of sale where the client um, is essentially saying that they can, uh, that they, they'll have your back in case something happens. Again, that's a grossly oversimplified way of stating what an indemnification clause is. Um, but you don't have that on Etsy. And that's, I mean, that's really the the long and short of it. It doesn't matter. You're both going to be on the hook. Um, and so this is why Etsy owners, I would argue, I mean, every business owner has a duty to make sure that you are at least hiring somebody to run an audit on your website and make sure that what you're doing is legal. I do that for people all the time. You don't need to educate yourself on every law out there. That's what some of us suffered through law school to do. <laughs> but um, you do need to know enough when it comes to Etsy because you don't have that language in those agreements to fall back on. You need to know enough to, and, and platforms like this are fantastic because it puts the information out there. You need to know enough to know that if somebody asks you to print somebody's photograph on a t-shirt or a quote on 
a t-shirt or whatever it may be. Um, you need to know enough to at least take a look or at least ask the, ask an attorney if that's something that you can do. Okay, so you've heard me say it again and again. Your SEO or search engine optimization is critical to your success on Etsy. I mean, if shoppers can't find your products, they certainly won't be buying them, right? So the key is to figure out exactly what people are typing into that Etsy search bar when they're shopping for products just like yours. But how? Like I get emails and DMs and social media comments on the regular from you guys. And so many of you are looking for help on this. Like SEO is a major pain point for a lot of you. You want to know how on earth you can get into your customers' minds, find the keywords that will help make your products bestsellers, and strategically place them in your listings to make sure they're fully optimized. I heard you, <laughs> and now I've got you, friends. I put together a resource to help you understand and master the important skill of SEO. It's called the Etsy SEO Workshop, and it will literally teach you the exact strategy that I used to build my full-time multiple six-figure Etsy shop. It's the same strategy I use today. I'm unveiling all of it. I'm holding none of it back. You can get access to it right now at howtosellyourstuff.com forward slash SEO. Again, that's howtosellyourstuff.com forward slash SEO. And I will show you step-by-step -step how to find best-selling SEO for your products, including strategic deep dives into how I would do SEO research for five different niches. No matter what you're selling on Etsy, this workshop will show you how to compete in the Etsy search results and teach you research skills that you can use in countless business applications. I use this all the time. Again, you can find the workshop at howtosellyourstuff.com forward slash SEO or visit the link I have waiting for you in the show notes. I'm so excited, you guys. I can't wait to hear your success stories. Paige, do you have in your template shop, um, this idea just came to me because we should create it if you don't have it yet. So, um, what, you know how like on Etsy, we can put in our own policies. Mm -hmm. You have something for that? Like, is there something we should be adding to that that we're not, we don't know about? Well, so you need to add, um, I have add on, I, they're just called add on provisions in my shop. Um, I sell each of those paragraphs in my contracts individually so that if you don't need a whole new contract you don't have to buy a whole yeah. new contract but you definitely need to add in indemnification and you definitely need to add in i would add in indemnification force majeure i would add in limitation of liability and representations and warranties those four for sure okay so we can grab those from your i should link i should link directly to the uh, Paige, when you email me the, th the other stuff, could you please like link the, or tell me where I find those? Because yeah. that, those four things, <laughs> is that all? <laughs> we'll get off the call and have amnesia and be like, yeah, I know I mentioned something, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm going to go over there. I'm going to like send them how to uh, like a, a hairdresser's contract link or something ridiculous <laughs> should not be entrusted to me. <laughs> I can do that for sure. Thank you. Okay. So I will link those clauses so that you, if you want to add them to your Etsy shop, as she's suggesting, you can go grab them from her template shop. I love that you just provide those little pieces. That's so helpful for those of us on like a shoestring budget. Do you have time for another question or two, or do we need to save it for next time? Yeah. yeah oh my can, gosh. Yeah. I can. Absolutely. You're so good to us. What are we going to do? What are we, 
I need to send you some flowers. Oh, you kind of touched on this earlier, but since it's an official question, it says, if we are completely changing the product we are selling and my business name does not fit at all, is it okay to just create a DBA? So that's like when we have an Etsy, we can change our Etsy shop name, I think two times. So like, let's say, oh, this, so um, there was a time when I sold like printables and, you know, I, but I also sold wood signs. So maybe I like change my shop from the wood sign name to something more digital. So they're asking, can I just do a DBA? And I'm wondering what they've got filed, right? Like that's kind of the question. That's you're exactly. Yeah. You kind of took the words out of my mouth. You can't, you can create a DBA. It doesn't, uh, but again, it doesn't accomplish anything from a legal perspective at all. It does not, it yeah, it doesn't. You so you can, but it again doesn't doesn't accomplish anything. And I'll just because I feel like I'm not answering that question directly. I have a DBA. I'm not trying to just sit here and talk talk bad about DBAs. But here's why I have a DBA. Actually, the Creative Law Shop is a DBA for Page Holtz Law, mm-hmm. or not Page Holtz Law <laughs> for Page Holtz LLC. Uh, I did that for two reasons. One, if I want to sell that business, it's going to be easy to make that. That makes it more sellable. I can just split it easier. Second thing is because the creative law shop is a name that is valuable. And if somebody wanted to buy that trademark from me, technically I would be able to sell them that trademark separately. And it it would be separate from my existing entity. And that's again, an oversimplification, but there are times where DBAs are appropriate. What I see and, and why I sound like I speak harshly about DBAs is <laughs> I see people run into questions or these types of questions and then think, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just file a DBA and not think past that point <laughs> because it feels like a, a legal mechanism. And while, yeah, it technically is, are you employing it effectively? Probably not. Like, is there a strategy in place? Probably not. Yeah. In this case, I'll just, I'll just cap my answer at that. It's, I would if you think that you're going, I would recommend from a business perspective, if you're really taking the business in a new direction, take a look at, take a look at actually changing the business name itself. You can change the name, like in my state of Oklahoma, I can change the name of my LLC um, for, I think it's $25 filing fee. So oh my gosh. Oh, no, yeah. That's a phenomenal answer though, Paige. That was like perfect. That person also just like, I can't believe you're, I can't believe you, you're so generous to answer these questions. My mind is alone. Um, uh, okay. Okay. I don't know how, I don't know how we do this on a, on a recording, but I'm going to ask it anyway. She says, I've discovered, I'm assuming it's she, I've discovered one of my bestsellers features a quote that is trademarked. Can you help us understand the legal speak on the test website? And guys, I'll, 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 I'll link, I have a little tutorial of how you can check trademarks, which I will link in the show notes, but I'd love to hear your, I don't know even how you address that. Yeah. It's a great so, question. Um, I just don't know how we do it. <laughs> it is a great question. Yeah, it is a great question. So just for, for, uh, and I know you're going to add this in the, in the show notes, but just for clarification for anybody listening, the TESS website is the trademark electronic search system on the USPTO. So that's, it's just the search bar on the United States Patent and Trademark Office website. And, and they are intentionally vague on that website. And <laughs> even oh. I, I read things on that website and I'm like, I have to read it three times before it actually makes sense sometimes. You're making um, me feel better about myself. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. 
so when it comes to when it comes to the test website, it's fantastic that you're in the habit, sounds like, of checking on that website before using something. Continue that habit that you're already doing step one that I would recommend. But I do want to, to give one word of caution when it comes to using the test search bar, and that is you have to type in that phrase or that name exactly in order for it to pop up in the, the search bar. Like even one of my own trademarks I checked the other day and I forgot to add an S at the end of it, which is what I filed it under. And my my own trademark didn't pop up. Like you have to be very specific about what you're searching on that site. The technology behind it is very rudimentary. When it comes to a quote that is that has a federal registration like that, I would be very careful. You're probably going to need a licensing agreement in order to use it and sell it in any commercial way. So I'm kind of answering this question in, in two parts. So one, when it comes to the quote that's trademarked, you need yeah, you need to reach out to the trademark owner and ask for licensing rights to use it. Two, in order to understand the, the legal speak on the TESS website, I want to hearken back to what I was talking about regarding likelihood of confusion and just remind you that search variations, search all sorts of variations of the name. So if I'm looking, before I have an inquiry call with anybody, for example, if they're coming to me to trademark it, whatever they're coming to trademark. Um, I run a search on the test website for them just so that I know ahead of time if I'm wasting their time talking about trademarking mm -hmm. or not. And I search, I'll search the plural ver version of the name. I'll search, I'm looking at a book here called Ranchland. So I'm going to just go with that. Let's say somebody's coming to me to search for Ranchland. I would search for Ranchlands. I would search for ranching. I would search for I don't know if ranch landing is a word, <laughs> but what I'm getting at, I, I would search variations of, of the name, but you still, you have to have a, a lawyer run an actual due diligence search. So that looking at tests is just step one. I hire out a whole search team to search all of the federal registrations, state wow. registrations, common laws, use of, of that name. And again, similar, similar names, um, social media, et cetera. So Tess is very literally the, the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. I Earlier in the year, I opened up a print-on-demand t-shirt shop because a lot of my um, listeners are really interested in that. And I thought it would be like, it's, it's been an education, um, but it's been mm -hmm. super interesting. Like this is a big deal right now on Etsy. And I got like a... I, there was a set of t-shirts I created for a family. It was for like a pregnancy reveal. And I did my search because I'm a good little girl. And, but I looked up each shirt individually. So it was for a family. So I looked up like what would go on the dad's shirt individually. Well, it turned out they had them trademarked as a bundle, like the set together. And so I got a DM from the owner being, you know, basically like a, it would, like a casual cease and desist, yeah. um, which I immediately, I was like, I'm so sorry. I looked this up, but I didn't even find it. I'll take it down immediately, you know? Um, but that was really interesting to me when you say be specific, like you're not joking. Like it didn't even occur to me to take all of what's on this set of t-shirts together and type them all in. And Lord knows what would have happened if I didn't even have them in the right order. So it's like, oh, it's yeah. sticky. Exactly. Well, and you hit on something that I want to I want to briefly follow up on too. Um, if you have a registration, or if you if you have something trademarked, you do need to keep an eye out for people who are accidentally in, or intentionally infringing. But I I do, and I'm not necessarily just like optimistic without a cause. But <laughs> but when it comes to these issues, and you're a good example of this, typically 
there's no malice involved with with the infringement. So I always, always encourage people like run it. And I sell cease and desist templates on for social media in, in the creative law shop that start with like, here's how you DM somebody kindly and say, I'm sure it was an accident, but would you mm -hmm. mind taking it down? Like start kind, <laughs> never start guns a blazing. Or I, I shouldn't say never. There are some times where it's just blatantly obvious and that's a whole other conversation. But, but generally speaking, start kindly understand that most people don't have malice and understand that because again, the test site is very rudimentary. Um, somebody like yourself probably did try to do their due diligence. And there's a difference between doing due diligence there and then truly running a due diligence check. So that's just kind of a, an aside. <laughs> it's just so interesting, but yeah, the good, it was nice to just get like a little DM and be like, Oh, no problem. I'm on it. You know, yeah. um, most people don't want to spend the money to just come suing you out of the exactly. gate. So you have to really, but you do need to pay attention to the warnings. I think, okay, this is per a perfect follow-up. Someone said, um, I see a ton of people with Disney stickers or merch. Yeah. I've been told not to create any of those um, with any with those characters because they are trademarked. How come others are doing it and selling a ton? Question mark exclamation point. I mean, I'm like, I feel them. I really, I like, I feel, I, I feel. Do too. Yeah. <laughs> I do too. And I'm going to just be real blunt with my answer. This is not going to be a very, uh, this will not sound like a very intellectual <laughs> response. They either haven't been caught yet or they're yep. paying licensing fees to do that. <laughs> Those are the only two answers. Disney is notorious for how much, for how, how strict they are with, with enforcing their trademark rights. Notorious. I mean, they like legends in the, in the trademark law world. Disney will probably catch them eventually. Again, either that or they have worked out a licensing deal and who knows how much they're paying behind the scenes in order to sell those products. That's something just, and I, I don't mean to just be that one more thing person, but I do have one more thing to add to that. When it comes to trading, some of my favorite clients, the types of clients that I get to work with are just those, the visionary entrepreneurs who look at, they ask me these questions about intellectual property, but then they look at it from a business, business perspective as well. Like what I was talking about with the creative law shop earlier you can license out your trademarks and it, it can, you want to talk about a passive revenue source? Yes. That's a freaking passive revenue source. And you should see, because I'm the attorney of record on all of my applications. So when people want to contact my clients to, to negotiate licensing deals, they contact me first. You should see the offers I get, <laughs> the offers I get from, um, for names that you wouldn't think would be that valuable. I have clients that are making, a very healthy five or six figures just by letting somebody use their name through a licensing agreement or t-shirts, et cetera, whatever it may be. So that's something to keep in mind. And I know people that I do it too. I, I trademark a ton of stuff just so that I can do that. But I love that angle. And I think it's, I think it's so smart. Um, but okay. So, because I don't know if everyone on the podcast has heard this, I'm sure you have Paige, but there's a quote, mess with the mouse and lose your house. <laughs> like mess with Mickey mouse and you're going to get sued basically. Yeah. They haven't, they just haven't gotten caught yet or they have like, now I would think they'd be advertising all over the place. They've got the licensing. I would have, if you get the licensing, put it in your like welcome uh, message, I, put it in your about you. section, put it on the listing itself. Because someone like me, I will not buy from a shop who does not have that kind of wording. Like you've got to, I, I, 
work in this space. I care too much about not ripping people off. So yeah, I know plenty of people who have had other people like find, um, find stores like that and then report them to the, or file, file claims with Etsy. Again, Etsy can be really freaking liberal about what, what they'll take down, what shops they'll put on hold, but competitors who want to put you out of business will contact Disney (laughs) and 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 Disney will snap into action soon. And the, uh, the other thing with this too, that I'm seeing a lot with the rise of AI is it, it's becoming more and more easy to police your trademarks. So people who are hiding in plain sight, it, you've always just been lucky to get away with it. And your luck is (laughs) waning. Your luck is yes. And I mean, I'm thinking like these people may have operated for five, 10 years and they could get sued for all of that. Like, oh my gosh, I can't. Paige, can we do, you can say no, obviously you can always say no, but could we do like a whole AI episode? Because I feel like that is a beast we should talk about. I feel like we need to. I feel like, <laughs> like I, I feel like it would be an injustice not to. And again, it's it that that frontier is and I, I'm using the word frontier correctly there. It the legal the laws and the, the rapidness behind how much those laws are changing. Like new case precedent is getting set every week. And that's something that I'm about to start shouting from the rooftops when it comes to how that's changing the game from it's changing the game from an intellectual property perspective. At the same time, it's also creating a scenario where true creatives, creative entrepreneurs are artisans in ways that they've never been artisans before because you can't you you can't trademark something that you didn't completely create. So if you've created something with AI, I can't say it, AI. It's hard to say. I struggle all the time. (laughs) If you've created something with AI, you can't register it. So then you don't have your backup plan. You don't have your defense when it comes to things like Etsy takedown claims. So it's more valuable than ever to create something yourself that is truly your own creation and register it. And that's this, it's a new renaissance is occurring because that oh. in the same way that we look back, and I was a history major, so this is where my dorky side can come out. But if you look back at the actual Renaissance, I mean, that culture was the world changed because of artisans and the impact that artisans had on on the Florence in the 1500s. And I mean, it, it literally changed the world. And that's the kind of role that uh, creative entrepreneurs are playing right now, like true creative entrepreneurs are playing right now and being able to take on the, uh, the role of the artisan. So anyways, again, I can get on a soapbox about that. Yeah. I, I, I have the chills. I, when I think about it, when we get to use the words frontier and Renaissance again, you just got my attention. Okay. I've somehow sucked up an hour of your time and I could go on. That's the thing. We could keep going. I want to end with one last question because it just keeps coming up. Can you personally, as an attorney, help someone recover their suspended Etsy shop? I can't. The hesitation that you hear is that I can most, I will be very blunt because I'm, I'm a business owner as well. I'm an entrepreneur as well. If I think I'm going to be wasting somebody's time with, with a case, I'm going to be really blunt about that fact. And so typically if, if you don't have it, if you don't have your intellectual property registered, then it's a lost cause. But, but yes, I am able to help people with that. But just know okay, that so that. feel free to reach you can you can reach out to Paige for help with this if you have 
documented proof that you have ownership. Like you have got to have everything registered. You've probably got to have trademarks. You've got to have LLC. You've got to have all that in place for it to even make sense for her to go about it. Otherwise, guys, um, you need to just be like appealing with Etsy. A lot of times it resolves within a few weeks. You don't have to go. This would be like if you've already tried that and it's been months and you can't get it back, that's when you contact Paige. But if it just happened today and you got an email, that's not the time to reach out to <laughs> to Paige. Okay, guys, sorry for kind of the rough transition here, but this is where our recording completely failed. So um, I was just wrapping up the point of saying that you want to try to work with Etsy to get your shop back when you're getting that first suspension email. Um, don't don't reach out to Paige in a panic because she wouldn't be able to help at that point, but see what you can do with Etsy. And if it continues to be a problem and you didn't do anything wrong that you're aware of and you want to get some legal help to get your shop back, then that is when you would go ahead and contact Paige. So I hope that helps. I think this was such a powerhouse Q&A session. Like, I feel like we could have talked all day. There was so much goodness in there. Um, Paige extends her warmest heartfelt goodbye and thank you to you all. <laughs> she she meant to say it on video and we just got cut off. So um, I wanted to make sure and add that in there, but she's going to be coming back later this year, um, if not early next year, because we really want to have that AI conversation with you guys. So that should be really interesting. But I hope you enjoyed this. I love being with you. I hope you guys are having a great week. I hope everything is going amazing in your Etsy shop. Um, reach out to me if you need some help. And in the meantime, go make something awesome. I'll see you next week. And that's a wrap on this episode of How to Sell Your Stuff on Etsy. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. If you're looking for more resources, head on over to howtosellyourstuff.com where you'll find podcast show notes, all the links from today's episode, the blog, courses, coaching, and more. If this episode was helpful to you, awesome. The greatest compliment I can receive from you is a rate, review, and subscribe on this podcast. Not only will it allow us to connect again on a future episode, it lets me know I'm providing you with value and helps other people find this content more easily. From the bottom of my heart, thank you for your support. Have a great day and see you next time.